3 Z. 92.3 FM. The following program is in English. Thank you. You're tuned in to L'Chaim, to life, with your host, Morris Klein, who just happens to be my baby brother. Shalom Aleichem, Shalom Aleichem, welcome to L'Chaim, to life, Jewish life and more. The penultimate L'Chaim for season two and for the year, and what promises to be a very special L'Chaim about two righteous people, two mention and their families. And speaking of mention, the state funeral for the late Eddie Jakku, OAM, the happiest man on earth, was this morning. As I have mentioned previously on L'Chaim, I was blessed to have had the opportunity to have two interviews with Eddie, when he was 99, straight after his rapturous TEDx presentation, and then again April 2020, just after Eddie turned 100. I wasn't presenting a program this year at the time Eddie turned 101. I wish I was, as the two interviews with Eddie were something very, very special. I have been asked to make a podcast of my second interview with Eddie, which I will do in the next few weeks. I'll let our Lechaim listeners know when I post it on YouTube. Eddie Jakku, OAM 101, The Happiest Man on Earth, Baruch Dayan HaEmet. All right, I'm with the show. This is it. L'chaim, two life, Jewish life and more. Here on 92.3 FM, 3 triple Z. Kick it off, Maury. Ron James is a stalwart of U3A branches in Hawthorne and Stonington, where he has facilitated discussions on local and global current affairs for 14 years. In addition, he moderates current affairs sessions at B'nai B'rith. Welcome to Lachayim, Ron. Thank you very much. Uh, U3A started in France almost 50 years ago, and they have a link with educational institutes that remains the model used in Europe. Australia's first U3A began in Melbourne in 1984 with a philosophy that recognised that most people of retirement age have something to contribute and the emphasis has been on sharing without formal educational links. And there are now greater than 250 U3As in Australia with more than 100,000 members offering the widest imaginable ranges of subject areas. Ron, you've facilitated U3A discussion groups for 14 years, which is more than half the time the organisation has existed in Melbourne. It's no secret that places in your courses are highly prized and there are many disappointed people who have been turned away from the face-to-face classes because of the limited available spaces. Could you tell our listeners how you came to uh, take up this role? Well, I think it must be in my blood because when I was young and 19, I went to London and I used to speak at Speaker's Corner and I used to come down and I used to have an enormous high chair and that's when I first started. And I remember our next-door neighbour, David Merkel, saw me and said, Ron is a radical, he's going to come home, he's got in with the wrong crowd. And I think that's where I started my talking and running classes. But, you know, when I look back, it was an amazing start. And then I went to Hawthorne U3A because I'd retired too, and I was looking for some purpose in my life something to do, something to occupy me. And this kind of fitted the bill. I went to a current affairs class and someone said to me, "Um, why don't you help out a bit? So I volunteered and then before I knew it, I was running the class. 
in the class, there were 40 people. Next year, there was 80. Next year, there was 120. <laughs> and then from then on, for the next 12 years, I had a class of 120 and 30 to 50 on the waiting list. Oh, wow. And the amazing thing is, because I came not from an academic background, but from sales, and you have sales teams and you have to keep people interested, I had no trouble maintaining my class. And there used to be a joke that the only way to get into Ron James's class if someone died, because <laughs> year after year, the class didn't change. You just couldn't get in. Mm. I think I was a bit different than everyone else because I'd like to have tomorrow's news today. And that's what my class is called today. And I used to get up at three in the morning and get the very latest videos. And I hope that no one in the class had seen them. When you show the videos, it's new to people and they're very interested in what's happening. The other thing is with other classes, they used to be a week behind with the news. Mm. And then the problem is... In a class that has groupthink, everyone agrees and says the same thing. Yes. So I always liked diversity in my class. And often people would say, would criticise some of the people, oh, this person's too far out, and, you know, tell them off, censor them. And even U3A used to say that. But I never did because I believed in self-censorship. And that means during the breaks, when someone went too far or whatever happened, people in the class would go and speak to them mm -hmm. and kind of maybe calm them down and the people would come back and then it would be over and it would be forgotten. And also what I did is each year I tried to make a real big impression on the first day. One time I dressed up as a captain from Qantas and I had three tickets around the world <laughs> if the people participated and were good. And it was all a bit of a farce. But I used to copy air tickets and they were so authentic, people used to think they were real. <laughs> I think the highlights of the class is when Harry married Megan. I copied identically the wedding invitation because it's not just a current affairs class. And I told them to take it home, show it to their family and told them that they'd been invited to the wedding. And actually, a lot of them did and their family believed them. And the whole thing is, why wouldn't they believe them? Because the copy was as good as the original. So I'm um, always looking for something different every year so they could say, my class was different. Come to Ron James's classes. And I always gave out a lot of certificates. And I was very pleased one day I went to someone's house and they had them all around the house. Oh, wonderful. Well, and most of them are now gone. But this person just treasured all the awards you know, that I used to, to give out. Another thing I did was, you know, when a Pope was being um, elected and there was smoke coming out of the, yes. the towers, I tuned in through my iPad live and got the commentary and everything like that. So it was just when you can do things live from the classroom, it just adds another layer to yeah. what you do. Just amazing stories. I'm not surprised people are beating the door down to get into your classes. You need to find a, a larger venue, you know, uh, yeah, MCG oh, or uh, Olympic oh, Stadium or something. Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> another thing, when they came in, I used to play music, you know, the golden era. Yeah. And, you know, the songs I used to play were very relaxing and catchy. 
So before we even started, some people just sit and watch the videos and it just created an atmosphere for the class. Mm. And then going on to the people in the class who were fantastic, I wanted to, in the class, create clicks. Like there was an Italian girl and I said, bring your sister along. So she brought a sister along and then she brought a cousin along. And the idea was, even with my relatives in the class, bring a relative along so you don't have to go out with them during the week and have coffee. You can meet them in my class and have coffee and then maybe even go out afterwards. So it was a very strong connection to the people who came to my class. Mm. And the other thing too I used to say to them, when you go home, like if they weren't the husband and wife, tell your partner every week what's happening in my class. So, you know, you can share the latest news, keep them up to date, and that's what they used to do. Mm. So it was never a current affairs class. It was more an adventure and never knowing what was going to happen. Yes. Now, one of my strengths is as I was a salesman, I had no trouble asking top people from prime ministers to uh, QCs to anyone to come and speak in my class. I can give you a huge list of people. But I just tell you, the first three people I asked, who were all prominent people, all came. The first person I asked was Julian Burnside. Right. Next person I asked was Michael Kawinda. And yep. that's when I started. And then I asked Barry Jones. Okay. Now, all those people have been back to my class many times. But, you know, I just had no trouble talking to these people mm. and, and for it to happen. Will I tell you about one or two of these people? I, yes, go ahead. All right. Like I had Jackie Lambie. Okay. And when I had Jackie Lambie, the people in my class said, oh, we don't want her. She's a rat bag or this and that. And when she came, she came in this long limousine. It took up about four <laughs> car spaces. And she parked in the middle of a car park during the whole thing with her chauffeurs and everything there. And some guy who said, look, we don't want it. He actually, at the end of the meeting, he proposed to her. And <laughs> he fell in love with Jackie because the real Jackie isn't what you see on, on TV. Mm. And she also, at that time, she launched her campaign symbol in my class. Oh, and, wow. and it was really nice. And then I had Greg Sheraton. He's a good friend. And when he writes a book, he actually rings me up and wants to come to my class to promote it. Now, this is against all the rules, but when he came, he said, can I bring readings, bookshop people with me? who have got the book and have got their machines. Yeah. And in the class, I sold at least 50 books, you know, from Greg Sheraton, which is, you shouldn't do that. So I can we won't tell anyone. What? No, don't <laughs> tell anyone about that. And the other one who was fascinated was Josh Frydenberg. Oh, yeah. I had a lot of people in my class who was anti-Josh. They didn't like him, you mm. know. But then the amazing thing was every time he came, he created an absolute magic. Yeah. And they were so polite to him, he wowed them. Yeah. He's just got this amazing quality of winning people over. And then I had other people who, you know, um, some of the class you know, challenged them and there's a bit of... Is there any topics that are off the menu as far as you're concerned? Yeah, well, well, there was one topic. You don't talk about Jews. 
and it, it was not the topic for me, but for all the other Jewish lecturers it was, because it always caused division. You have to talk about Israel, you have to talk about Jews, because I think they're the most important things in the world. Mm. But it's very difficult sometimes, like one girl asked me, why do the Jews kill innocent Arab children? Mm. Well, it's not something you can really answer in a class properly. And even when you do kind of answer, you know, like some of these topics, I still believe that they don't kind of take it in. And now I'm at Ben Brith, and they're 99% of Jewish or 98. I can bring up Jewish topics, and it's fantastic. (laughs) And I do. And, you know, Israel is fascinating. There's no question about that. Look, there are so many things that I've written down that I'd like to get your response, but I'm afraid we're going to, no, no, I'm afraid, I'd love to invite you back in the new year to talk about some of the other things that I've got written down because uh, I'm sure you've got uh, opinions and uh, valuable insight into into some of these, but I'm afraid Mm -hmm. we have to finish up. Uh, So, Ron, well, it, it goes very, very quickly. Ron James, thank you so much for providing us with an insight into the world of U3A and right. the, the value of offering the community through U3A and Benabrith a means of catching up on and debating, discussing local and global current affairs in addition to other things that you introduce. Yeah. Um, if any of our audience would like to join one of Ron's classes, and uh, it sounds like it's going to be extremely difficult, then search for Stonington U3A on the web. And uh, I noticed that for B'nai Brith, they uh, had a, a sign associated with your last session and it had, in quotes, additional session added due to popular demand. So not even easy getting into those uh, sessions yeah. either. So. Many thanks for being on Lachayim. Very, very much appreciated. I look forward to you coming back in the new year. Thanks, Murray. That was very nice. Thank you again. Up in the morning and out to school The teacher is teaching the golden rule American history and practical man You study him hard and hoping to pass Working your fingers right down to the bone The lunchroom ready to sell You're lucky if you can find a seat You're fortunate if you have time to eat Back in the classroom, open your books Keep it, the teacher don't know how mean she looks Soon as three o'clock rolls around You finally lay your burden down Close up your books, get out of your seat into the slot You've got to hear something that's really hot With the one you love you're making romance All day long you've been wanting to dance Feeling the music from head to
something that's really hot With the one you love you're making romance All day long you've been wanting to dance Feeling the music from head to toe Round and round and round you go Hail, hail rock and roll Deliver me from the days of old Ron James, what an interesting community-minded person. And yes, ask a lecturer a question, expect a long, detailed answer. Well done, Murray, I loved it. Some Jews who want to prey upon the Jewish Temple Mount disguising themselves as Muslims so security up top won't stop them moving their lips. For Israel News Talk Radio, I'm Mordechai Schenker. Times of Israel reports these Jews pretend to pray as Muslims do, but secretly in their hearts and with their mouths, they're praying as Jews. And police here trying to put a stop to that. Jews playing up on the Temple Mount has been verboten during the modern state of Israel. Israel lets the Muslim Waqf Authority control most of what happens up on the Mount. And the status quo has been that Jews moving their lips silently is so dangerous to the Waqf's self-perception of their control over the holiest site to Jews that Arab security up top rush over to prevent it. There have been some reports that such enforcement has been less consistent the last very few years, but apparently some Jews don't consider a trip up top complete without touching base with their creator, and if they have to wear different clothes to ensure their chance, they're willing to do it. After all, the Kohen, the high priest, certainly changing his clothes a lot in the process of a thorough day of prayer. Apparently, some of these Jews banding together, calling themselves the Returning to the Mount group, which in general advocates returning full Jewish sovereignty over the Jewish Temple Mount. Security officials apparently worry Hamas and other Arab terror groups might use this as an excuse for violence, either violence up on the Mount or more individual terror attacks or huge salvos of terrorist rockets launched across Israel. So that's why security trying to identify and stop this dangerous phenomenon of more Jewish prayer up on the hilltop where historically both Jewish temples standing and the expected site where the third temple would stand when it comes. The holiest site for Jews anywhere in the world, every Jew throughout thousands of years, whenever praying, trying to face Jerusalem. If praying in Jerusalem, facing the old city. If praying in the old city, facing the Kotel, the western wall, and the Holy of Holies beyond, wherein sat the Holy Ark. The current Dome of the Rock Mosque up on top is the third holiest site for Islam. The rock inside is where Abraham began, but then God stopping him from sacrificing his son Isaac, that biblical story. Abraham, the ancestor of Jews and Arabs, while Muslims, the agreements between the two groups mostly stop there until you reach the U.S. presidency of Donald Trump, who, together with his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, negotiating the Abraham Accords with first the United Arab Emirates, then Bahrain, Morocco, Sudan, recognizing agreeing to work together with Israel. And one of those Arab states, the United Arab Emirates, Israel's Prime Minister Naftali Bennett, finishing an historic visit there, and the UAE's Crown Prince, Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed al-Nahyan, accepting Bennett's invitation to come visit Israel. The two meeting for hours Monday, more than half of that, just one-on-one -on -one talks. 
Bennett inheriting this great peace, technology, economics, health, and prosperity cooperation agreement from his predecessor, former Prime Minister of Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu. But unlike the U.S. Harris-Biden administration's effort to undo and unmake every single Trump policy and accomplishment, Prime Minister Bennett looking past his predecessor, trying to continue and expand the historic improvement in relations with these Arab states. Bennett explaining our goal is to expand ties so there's not only peace between the leaders, but also between the peoples. On his way back, Bennett being given the special opportunity to protect the people of Israel whom he serves. A later confirmed case of the CCP coronavirus was on board his flight. So now Bennett gets to experience the quarantine his government has imposed on all exposed people, thereby protecting the rest of Israel from catching what most experience as a bad cold with a cough or an average flu, but which some small percentage, especially those over 65 or those with otherwise impaired health, really might die from. I'm Mordechai Shanker, Israel News Talk Radio. The news from Israel is courtesy of INTR, Israel News Talk Radio. Listen online to more straight talk from Israel at israelnewstalkradio.com. On Monday, the Embassy of Israel in Australia, in conjunction with the Gandal Foundation and Yad Vashem, the World Holocaust Remembrance Center, conducted a Righteous Among the Nations ceremony to honor the lives of Mrs. Rena Skovronska, Skovel, and Mr. Wilhelm Spisky, awarding them Righteous Among the Nations, one of the highest honors the State of Israel can bestow. This honor is awarded by Yad Vashem in the State of Israel to recognize individuals who risked their lives to save Jews during the Holocaust without the expectation of any reward. We are delighted to have joined us tonight on Lachaim, Eva Collins, daughter of Mrs. Rena Skovronska, Skovel, of blessed memory, and Tina Festura, grandniece of the late Wilhelm Spisky, of blessed memory. Eva Collins, Tina Festura, welcome to Lachaim. To life, Jewish life, and more. Thank you very much. Shalom and to everyone. <laughs> Shalom. Thank you. Good evening. Eva, you accepted the award on Monday on behalf of your late mother, Rena Skrovonska Skovel. When were you informed by Yad Vashem that your mother was going to be bestowed righteous among the nations? I think it was um, two and a half years ago, 1st of March 2019. And you were a first generation of immigrants who moved from Warsaw to Australia after the Second World War. I believe your mother passed away quite some time ago. What was your reaction, your thoughts at the time when Yad Vashem contacted you with this special news? I was delighted because I know it's difficult to produce enough documentation to prove the fact. There are many people who are not registered for what they did because when they did what they did at the time, they didn't go around collecting witnesses or afterwards. And I strongly believe that there should be a special section in Yad Vashem, which maybe doesn't give out an award if they don't have documentation, but at least take a chance give people a benefit of doubt and give them a card or something expressing gratitude for goodwill. Yeah, also an acknowledgement. Eva, could you please tell our listeners what your late mother, Rena, a blessed memory, was acknowledged for doing? My mother came from Vilna, which was part of Poland, but it was a Lithuanian city. And I don't believe she ever met a Jew in her life. 
She was an actress. She studied performance. Vilna was a very cultural city for Jews and for Gentiles. It was a university city. And I don't know how she met my father, but she met him because he went east after the Germans invaded. And they met and he felt a very strong responsibility to bring out his former wife, Jewish woman. And my mother arranged safe houses for both of them, which had to be continually changed for this safety, not to arouse any suspicion. And then the ex-wife got exit papers and she left. And my parents, I forget now which, but one of them got the exit paper, but not the other. And they wouldn't live without each other. So they stayed and moved around a lot, eastern Poland, I think on the borderlands of Belarus. And I know my father was arrested, I believe, three times or four times. And my mother got him out from the Gestapo prison. And then at one stage, my parents were arrested. And I have no idea how they got out. Wow. Tina, you accepted the award of Righteous Among the Nations on behalf of Mr. Wilhelm Spisky, your great uncle. This is quite a remarkable story. Wilhelm Spisky. I hope I pronounced that correctly. Yes. Uh, was recognised as righteous by Yad Vashem in 1990. When were you informed by Yad Vashem that this honour had been bestowed to your great uncle? Well, unlike Eva's family, we weren't aware of the rescue. So I discovered it in 2017 during a random Google search of um, my great uncle and his wife's surnames. Well, I was a bit, a bit of an amateur genealogist. I was very interested in my mother's family, particularly her grandmother, which was Wilhelm's mother. My mother's family was very mysterious because everyone had fled to all four corners of the world during the uh, start of the war. So one day I found a card that had my great uncle's wife's maiden name. And I thought, look, I'm going to give it one last shot. I'll put in their surnames. We'll do one last search and up came the Yad Vashem website. And you can imagine my surprise when the story popped up and I realised it was my great uncle and his wife that I was reading about. Wow, that's amazing. That's a bit That means fate. It was meant to be. Why was your great uncle William Spisky acknowledged for his righteousness? He was married to a Jewish woman and his brother-in-law had been taken by the Romanian gendarmes and he had received a note from the prison from people asking for help and he thought it was his brother-in-law. So he rushed to the prison and was very upset to find that his brother-in-law had already been killed. But there was a family of five people there who were really on death's door, very unwell, starving, sick. And he decided to try to help them. Long story, but he bribed officers in all sorts of ways. He travelled to Bucharest to their parents and together he and a friend managed to get them smuggled out of the prison and he and his wife kept them in their home, which was above a police station, for six weeks while they returned them to health and then delivered them one by one back to Bucharest safely to their parents. Above a police station, amazing. Above Tina, a did you, you were quite young. Did your family speak of, of wartime and that of your great uncle and what he did? 
No, they didn't, Maurice. I ask myself that question a lot. How did we not know? My grandparents and that generation really didn't like to talk about the war a lot. When they did, they only spoke in Romanian, which we didn't speak. I mean, it was in very hushed tones. So, no, it was certainly not something that the family talked about a lot. I think essentially everyone was still traumatised and still anxious and scared who might be listening. Of course. Eva, I believe... um... Your father, Joseph Skovrinsky, as you mentioned, was arrested numerous times by the Gestapo and your mother repeatedly helped in his release. This was well before they fell in love and married. No, she was already in love with him. Oh, okay. Wonderful. (laughs) Wonderful. Did your parents speak much at home about the war times? Not much. They did. And I always left those things to them. But what I picked up on... And I don't know whether I'm projecting or whether I was particularly intuitive. What I picked up on in my father wasn't so much fear, but the sense of humiliation, how Jews and Poles who were against the regime naturally, because they were treated so badly, how humiliating it was, how their dignity suffered too. So one doesn't often hear about the humiliation. One usually hears about the fear or heroism. But I think there is another level, and that's the level of having your dignity offended. Evie, you were driving home from the ceremony, Righteous Among the Nations, at St Kilda Synagogue. What were the thoughts of the event when you were heading home? I felt incredible sense of relief. I felt my mother deserved every bit of it. I imagined my parents sitting in the synagogue, who at first would say probably don't make so much fuss about it. It completed something. And I felt the bond between my mother and her granddaughters and great-granddaughters has been strengthened because of that connection. Let me read out uh, something that you read out at the ceremony, a letter from Nina, Rena's first granddaughter. While I was still very young when my grandmother, Rena, passed away, I have clear memories of her affection and humour. She called me Mapechka, Polish for little monkey, and delighted in hearing my stories whilst feeding me her chicken soup. I knew nothing of of the Holocaust at such a young age, and now as I reflect on the challenges my grandparents surmounted, I am proud that my Rena acted with such honour. We all like to think that we would take the ethical choice in these situations, and my grandmother Rena actually did. Thanks to her actions, my grandfather, Yo-Yo, as I called him, was safe. And now, over 80 years later, their marriage resulted in two children, four grandchildren, and three great-grandchildren so far. Such a legacy is a delight to commemorate. That was your daughter. Yes. Um, Tina, the same question to you. Ceremony's over. You were there with family members. You're heading home. What were the thoughts? Like Eva, I felt great relief. I wasn't able to have family there because, unfortunately, apart from my mother, who's unwell and couldn't make it, uh, we don't have actually any family. So for me, it was also 
twinged a little bit with sadness that this couldn't have happened earlier or that this should have happened earlier. Um, I wish he had been alive. You know, I really wish my grandmother, him, all of them could have been there to experience that day and to be there to accept the honour themselves. Mm. But I have to say it was uh, one of the most important days of my life and I'll never forget it and I'm really really grateful that it went ahead that's wonderful I watched the video there is a video of the ceremony it is on the Israel Embassy's Facebook page Israel in Australia and two of you spoke beautifully I just want to read a couple of things out from the event and it was a wonderful event and canter Brett Case thank beautifully and I exhort everyone to check it out on the Facebook page Mr. John Gandal, AC, Chairman of Gandal Foundation, appreciating the righteousness of Mrs. Rena Skowronska and Mr. Wilhelm Spisky, said, We are so grateful for the righteousness of those honourable people who helped Jews during the Holocaust. We do not have enough words to thank you for all your efforts. It takes something special for seemingly ordinary people to risk their own lives and the lives of their loved ones in order to save and protect complete strangers from persecution and mass murder. We will always remember their bravery and their humanity. That was Mr. John Gandal. His Excellency Ron Gerstenfeld, Chazay Defer, Embassy of Israel in Canberra, said, It is because of the selfless acts of those righteous few that generations of Jews are alive today. Excuse me. <laughs> I get emotional. And the state of Israel exists and prospers. Those righteous people show us the path of being kind, stand up for what is right, even at the cost of risking their own lives. Excuse me. Moisha, get a hold of yourself. And as number one, as we must know, these good people who helped Jews during the Holocaust, we must learn from them. And in gratitude and hope, we must remember them. That was from Ellie Wiesel, Nobel laureate, Holocaust survivor. Oh, wow. Eva Collins and Tina Fester, I hope I pronounced that correctly. Congratulations. Muzzle tov on the acknowledgement of your family's righteousness. Mrs. Renner Skowronska, Skowvel, and Mr. Wilhelm Spisky. Righteous among the nations. Baruch Dayan Ha'amit, a blessed memory. Thank you. Oh, excuse me, Moshe. Thank you so much for joining us on with your wonderful family stories. Maurice, I'm very touched by your reaction. Yeah. Thank you for yeah. approaching it with so much emotion and heartfelt, very heartfelt emotion, which also moves us, yeah. um, you know. And it's very touching, and you've actually added more meaning to the whole event. Ladies, this is our little Lachaim dedication to your family's righteousness. Thank you again for joining us. Stay well. Yeah.
Yep, Moshe couldn't hold it together towards the end there with Eva Collins and Tina Furstera. Righteous among the nations, what special people. Thank you again, Eva and Tina, with your beautiful families. Definitely heroes. Speaking of nations, 
Time to head over to FU Kobe in Israel. For an unforgettable experience, explore Israel with FE. Allow me to take you on a journey back into time and see history unfold before your eyes. Effie Kobe, Shalom Aleichem, welcome back. Shalom, Shalom, Erev Tov, Moshe, and to all your listeners from Effie here in Eretz Israel. Effie, we missed you last week. You've been busy doing what you do best, being a great ambassador for Israel. And uh, you've even been guiding some people that we know from down under in Melbourne. Stephen and Sharon okay, Singer. Correct. It was a uh, really a lovely approach by them out of the blue. And uh, we scheduled it for yesterday, picked them up at Zichron Yarkov and went all along the, uh, the coast from Caesarea right up to the Lebanese border at Roshani Kar. A lot of fun. Uh, Roshani Kar, beautiful place. Brings back lots of memories. Yeah. Where are you taking us today? Right. Okay, guys, let's go explore Israel with Effie on 92.3 FM 3 triple Z. Today we're going to do a slightly different type of tour, which is to describe a uh, phenomenal mosaic right in the heart of Israel, just next door to Caesarea Port. And unfortunately, a lot of people don't get to go and see it, which is a real shame because you're on your way, so you may as well go and do it. Completely accessible to challenged people, free sites, and all of a sudden you're met with this awesome mosaic. So, guys, we're going to visit today the Byzantine bird mosaic from Caesarea in Eretz Israel. Now, the bird mosaic is located a really short drive north of Caesarea National Park itself. It is clearly signposted and on the way, in any case, to the famous beach aqueduct that most people rock up. But just forget that two minutes prior to that right-hand side parking bay, you get out and you go to see this awesome exhibit. So, it's a stunning mosaic floor referred to as the bird mosaic. Now, this was uncovered by accident back in the early 1950s, 54, 55, when the whole area was Gornish there, and it was actually a training ground for the IDF. And whilst on a training exercise, the uh, soldiers came across a protrusion, a couple of uh, blocks of stone. So, in anything, they called in the archaeologists, and they began to uh, filter away the soil, and all of a sudden... They found this awesome place right outside the ancient settlement of Caesarea. Now, with no budget available for its preservation, which normally happens, remember, this is the early 1950s, there wasn't a lot of guilt going around, it was covered again until the Antiquities Authority decided the time was right to resurface it. Now, this is normal practice by archaeologists on many sites. You rock up, you find a place, and you decide, you know what? We're going to cover it, and 30 years, 40 years down the road, we're going to leave it to the next generation of archaeologists with better scientific tools and understanding based on high science history and whatever to let us know what is happening here. And that's exactly what happened here. Because from 1955 to 2005, it was covered. And then the director of the Caesarea Antiquities Preservation Project decided the time was right to reveal it to the public. And lying there in Sutu, you've got this bird mosaic offering a rare glance into the lives of the wealthy Byzantine-area Caesarean family who had obviously commissioned this ancient work of art. And during the Byzantine period, remember we're talking about the 4th century AD, the harbour city of Caesarea flourished and expanded as much as 800 metres inland. Remember, that whole area was sustaining a population of well over 50,000 people. Awesome. This palace complex covered an area of nearly one acre, and that's over 4,000 square metres, and was obviously owned by a reputable and a wealthy family. The bird mosaic adorned the floor of a large open courtyard, 
the atrium with a portico along the western and southern sides. Under the mosaic itself is a plastered cistern to which drained rainwater from the entire complex. In the northwest corner of the site is a reservoir, you can see it as well, which received its water from the well. Now, the findings indicate an exceptionally developed water and drainage system that included inclined floors, water canals, and recessed wells. The complex was too high to receive water from the Caesarean aqueduct, so it needed an independent water supply. Now, this mosaic is 16 by 14 meters in size. It is huge. The wide border of the mosaic pavement portrays wild and tame animals separated by fruit trees, bordering 120 round medallions arranged in 12 rows and 10 columns. What a shame I can't show it to your listeners because it is absolutely stunning. What have you got there? A gazelle, a lion. In Israel, lions were hunted to extinction, obviously, long ago. A leopard. Today, the only leopard available in Israel is a colony of two right next to En Gedi in the Dead Sea. A wild boar. Now, these feral boars are a pest even today, harassing the people in Haifa. In the middle of the day, in the middle of the night, they rummage around the rubbish tins. Absolutely shocking. Bears are being shown. Syrian bears that we know that existed. A dog with a collar meaning it was a domesticated animal, a bull's head. Now, each of the 120 medallions contained a bird, hence the name given to the mosaic. Eleven different species are represented, appearing several times in an unusual arrangement of diagonal lines descending from right to left, and each diagonal line depicts the same bird. The birds included flamingos, duck, peacock, partridge, guinea fowl, ibis, goose, pheasant, and pelican. Some other birds appear to be a bit fanciful, but it gives you a direct line to understand what type of fauna and floor was around at this time. And during the excavations of the bird mosaic, a few adjacent rooms were also exposed. These rooms are paved with mosaics as well, with geometric and floral motifs. Fragments of other mosaic pavements, as well as pieces of plaster and roof tiles, were found on the intact floors at the ground level, indicating that the villa was a two-story building. But a unique find really blew the archaeologists away because one room contained the fragments of a dazzling glass mosaic panel glowing with gold. It is believed to be extremely rare and possibly the only one of its kind ever found in Israel today or in the Middle East. The nearly intact panel, also known as a gold glass table, was found face down on the mosaic floor under a layer of ash and debris from the ceiling and the second floor. What a lot of muzzle. It is made of small glass pieces, Using what's known as the opus sictile technique, experts believe that the glass panel covered the surface of a wooden sigma table, which was burnt when the building was destroyed. And between the two layers of the glass was pure gold. Now, that was awesome. Now, the quality of the preservation is remarkable. The craftsmanship indicates Christian origins because they found incised into the gold crosses. And the bird mosaic palace itself is believed to have been destroyed during the Arab contest in the 7th century. It lay dormant for 1,300 years from the 7th century AD until in the early 1950s, it was found by soldiers in a training exercise in the area. Now, that is absolutely stunning, guys. Do yourselves a favor. You're on the way to the beach aqueduct. Stop. Take the kids. Go and see it. Perfectly accessible. Brand new. Absolutely stunning. So that's all from me for this week from uh, Israel in Exploring Israel with Effie. And until next week, guys, take care of yourselves. All the very best. Shalom, shalom.
The festival of Hanukkah has ended. The miracles that accompany it do not end with it. But we are truly living in the times of miracles. Now it's true that there's much hatred in the world. And it's true that there are many who wish openly and privately that our Jewish land would be destroyed. It's true that Jews have become a major target for hate crimes in many places around the world. Although that is not new and has been that way for a very long time. It's true that many international bodies are trying desperately to sever our almost 4,000-year-old Jewish link with meaningless and empty resolutions. It's true that there are those among our own people who are pathetically engaging our enemies' rhetoric in order to be a part of the so-called progressive left. It's true that so many refuse to acknowledge our identity, our heritage and our history in an attempt to label us as oppressors and something that must be fought against. But all these empty attempts at destroying us will fail, just as they have in the past and will in the future. Because today we are strong people with a restored sovereignty in our own land. Land that was always ours, despite the claims of others that wasn't. We are not defenseless people anymore, but the people with an army that will go to the ends of the earth to safeguard us. Our fate is our own, not because of the world of much of the international community, but in spite of it. We are living in one of the greatest times in Jewish history. For thousands of years, Jews around the world dreamed of a restored Israel. They dreamed of a, of a return to their homeland. They dreamed of a time when the security of Jews would not be subject to the whim of despotic, cruel leaders who controlled our fate. Despite all the odds against us over so many thousands of years, we remain today alive, thriving, and living in the dreams of our ancestors. And that is surely the greatest miracle of all. This is Justin Amler, L'Chaim to Life. About the million dollar pita. My name is India, and today we are going to see how one pita changed the lives of an entire family. Pita is one of the most popular breads in Israel and all of the Middle East. It is a flat, round, and slightly chewy bread that is served in restaurants and homes all across Israel. If you visit Israel, you would certainly see it being sold on the streets. But there is one special family in South Israel who had their lives completely transformed by a single pita. Eki's family has been making pita for generations. She comes from a Moroccan Jewish family, but they didn't leave their pita passion behind. Unfortunately, disaster struck in the factory. One day, a pita bread caught on fire. What started as a small fire soon burned down the entire factory. However, there is a reason they called that one burnt bread the million dollar pita. The insurance the factory had only covered one-fourth of their losses. It would take a miracle to make a comeback. Thankfully, a miracle did come. An angel investor who believed in Etty's delicious pita decided to give her money to begin again. She worked endlessly to rebuild and even went to school to study business. Because of her strength, Etty and her family not only rebuilt the factory, but also built new bakeries and cafes across Israel. They are called Oren Meshi. 
Etchi's family business is now worth around $250 million. From Morocco to Israel and Israel to the world, their pitas are even being shipped to the U.S. and Europe. And it began with the one burned pita, the million-dollar pita that pushed Etchi to come back bigger than she ever imagined. You really can rise from the ashes. This is the story of the million-dollar pita. This is Inside Israel. My name is India, and I'll see you next time. Inside Israel of India is courtesy of I24 News, the 24-7 news service from Israel, which streams at i24news.tv and on Australia's biggest news streaming service, Flash. Go to flashnews.com.au and subscribe. Now for headlines from tomorrow's Australian Jewish News, the voice of Australia's Jewish community. Righteous Among Nations honoured in St Kilda. Vic government considering IHRA adoption. Three scouts suspended pending probe into anti-Semitic slurs. South African expats mourn legendary educator. Hate posts and hate mail condemned. Sydney's Rabbi Roebuck takes pulpit around TBI. Bennett makes history with UAE trip. Israel Jewish communities rally for tornado victims. Trump drops bombshell on Bibi bromance. To read more coverage of local, federal and international news, opinion, arts, lifestyle and sport, pick up your copy of the Australian Jewish News from newsagents and supermarkets in southeast of Melbourne or for weekly home delivery, subscribe at subscribe.jewishnews.net.au. Well, that's nearly it for the penultimate Lachaim for 2021, and a tough one it was for me. I do get emotional when it comes to family, friends, the Jewish world, and Israel, and I've always worn my heart on my sleeve. Many thanks to Justin Amler with tonight's miracle clip. I thought it slotted in nicely, as always with Justin. And for all these clips and thoughts throughout our first Lachaim, Two Life, Jewish Life and More, year here on 92.3 FM, 3 Triple Z. You can follow Justin on Facebook, a very, very talented writer. Again, I would like to exhort our Lachaim listeners to please check out the recording of the entire ceremony, which was held at St Kilda Synagogue for Renes Gavronska and Wilhelm Spisky, Righteous Among the Nations and a Blessed Memory. You will find it on the Israel in Australia Facebook page and the Israel Embassy website. Many, many thanks to our guests, Eva Collins and Tina Firstura for providing us with some righteous family background. They were an absolute delight. I think perhaps my losing it attests to that. Right, you'll find in about 15 minutes to half an hour a recording of tonight's Lachaim program at 3zzz.com.au. Click on the down arrow in the Listen to a Show square and scroll down to the Jewish group. You'll find it there. 
Links to YouTube recordings of tonight's interviews will be posted to the Lachaim and Morris Klein Facebook pages tomorrow. Lachaim podcasts are also available at JWire, Digital Jewish News Daily for Australia and New Zealand. Please check out the other two programs that make up the Jewish group here at 3ZZZ. The Hebrew Hour, Shabbat Shalom, 3pm on Friday, and the Yiddish Hour, 11am on Sunday. If you'd like to contact us here at Lechaim, our email is lchaim3zzz at gmail.com. For only $16, please consider becoming a member of the Jewish group here at 3ZZZ. And for seniors, it's just $11. Again, click on 3zzz.com.au. Many thanks again to Team Lechaim, Dr. George Banky, the executive producer, Dr. Murray Frankel, and Jeff Deegan. Many of our Lechaim listeners grew up with America's answer to the Beatles, the talented band The Monkees, with their enjoyable corny TV series in the 60s. Well, a third monkey, Mopechka in Polish, as mentioned in my interview tonight, has left us and gone to the big jungle in the sky. Michael Nesmith passed away last week, aged 78. Nesmith was a very talented guitar player and songwriting wordsmith, and by the way, his mother invented liquid paper. The last surviving monkey is Mickey Dolans, who played the drums with the monkeys. Some of our Lachaim listeners might even remember Mickey Dolans in Circus Boy, well before the monkeys. So we are closing out tonight's Lachaim with a monkey song written and sung by the late Michael Nesmith. We'll be back next week with our final Lachaim to life, Jewish life and more for 2021. Listen to the band. So thank you for tuning in and please join us again next week on Lachaim. My name is Morris Klein. I'm Yisrael Chai and peace. Hey, hey, mercy woman plays a song and no one listens. I need help. I'm falling again. Play the drum a little louder. Tell me I can live a louder if I Listen to the band. Listen to the band.